I like thing. It's one of my favorite Father's Day gifts of all time. This thing has traveled with me over thousands of miles. I love this thing. And do you know why I love this thing? Does anyone know why I love this thing? Because it means that wherever I go, I can have pour over coffee. It was a great, it's a great gift. This is great gear. Great gear. Okay, and, and here's the thing if there's anything I know about that, so all I have to do is I take this thing and I fold it down flat and I put, I have my filters and I have my coffee and I just put it in my backpack and wherever I go, we're out in Israel, we're out in Turkey. You don't, you don't know if you can find good coffee, but all you need is hot water and I'm ready to rock. Okay? Now you're like, all right, nerd alert, that's okay. You can think whatever you want to think about me. That happens every week, and I've made peace with it. Um, but here's the deal. You got, your own, you got your own thing out there somewhere, all you dads, right? You got your gear, your thing, the thing that you love, and you love, you love to gear up. I know anything about dads. They love to gear up. My dad, he was a woodworker. And on Saturday, I remember as a young kid, we would always go at, in that day, it was before Lowe's, before Home Depot, we had a build and grow. Anybody build and grow? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're gone now. <laughs> they've, they've been swallowed up by, by the big ones. But we would go there, and my dad, he, he always had this. His motto was, for every job, there is the right tool, right? Does anybody out there know what I'm talking about? For every job, there's the right tool. And if we didn't have it, we needed it. Okay? And so, and I know if you're watching, Dad, you know that that's true. And Mom knows because she now goes to the hardware store with him. And you know what she calls the store? Whether it's Home Depot or Lowe's, it's not Home Depot or Lowe's to her. It's the boring store. That's what she calls it. But for guys, we know it's not the boring store. It's the store of treasure, of gadgets, of gear. And I don't know what it is for you. Everybody's got their own place where you, you love gear. If you, if you travel, you always know, like if it's time to buy a new suitcase, well, which one should I get? It's gotta be better than the one before. Like you, you, ha you know who you are, right? You love your gear. If you ride bikes, anybody out here ride bikes? You love your gear. I know you love your gear, right? Helmet, whether it's a, a new tool, a new gear, or a new bike, I mean the whole thing, right? You guys know what it is. And it's not just guys, it's also you ladies out there. And I'm not saying that this is just for ladies, but if it's in the kitchen, right? You've got your favorite skillet, you've got your favorite pot, you've got your Instapot, you've got whatever it is, your favorite spatula. And if you don't have it, you need it, right? Gear up, you need to gear up. And this is the thing, we all love this stuff. And maybe it's uh, maybe it's your kitchen, maybe it's tools for your office, computer. I really like a certain kind of pen, and I really like that pen. And if you have that, if I have that pen, I feel better about myself and my work. You know what it is. It's like this, this idea that I want the, the tools that I need, my right computer, my tablet, my phone. How many of you have a good phone? You're like, and you're thinking about a new phone. You're like, oh, well, what should I get? Right? You gear up. That's what we do. We, and especially you dads out there, you like to gear. And I'm not alone in my love for gear. And in our passage today, as we had it read by Andrew, what we're going to find out is that the Apostle Paul, he also loves gear. And he knows that God has provided gear. And what the Apostle Paul says is, it's time to gear up. It's time to put on 
gear. He will call it the full armor of God. But what is it? It's gear. It's your favorite gear. It's the stuff you can't do without. It's the thing you know you need and that Paul knows you need and that God knows you need. And that's why God issues this gear. Gear for battle, gear for a struggle. And if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. That's where we begin today. Andrew started us off in verse 10 just to give us that, that background and the, the context of this passage But last week we learned that we are in some sort of struggle. And the Apostle Paul calls it a wrestling match, that we are in a wrestling match. He says that our wrestling match is not against flesh and blood. And Paul calls this wrestling match, but he's going to use military imagery. And he's going to talk about this gear and he's going to talk about military gear that people will put on. But he notes also that this is not this is not against human beings. This is military imagery, but this is not a battle against human beings. And we made note of that last week. As much as that person makes me mad, right? My battle is not against them. And we have to push these things down when we think that person is my enemy, that person is doing this to me. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. As a matter of fact, what he says is that there are schemes that are being cooked up against us regularly and with variety. He says, this battle is not against people, it's, against, it's not against flesh and blood. 6.12, if you want to look at it. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the way that Paul puts it, is that this power, this this wrestling match, this struggle, this battle is against unseen spiritual forces, the authorities, the rulers, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces. And that this wrestling match is an onslaught of the schemes of the devil. And as he comes to this, and he notes we are in this struggle, we are in this battle, we are in this wrestling match, he calls us, and our call is to what? Stand. To withstand. To stand firm. That's what he says. He says it over and over and over. And the way that Paul thinks that we should do that, the way that we should stand, the way that we should withstand, the way that we should stand firm, the way that we should do that is with gear. And that makes me happy. Because I love gear. And you love gear too. And Paul thinks that gear is important. And so he says, look, you love gear, I love gear. God has provided gear. And now it's time to pick up that gear. You guys with me? So what I want to do today is I want to walk through this kind of classic passage in the Christian life. How many people have heard of the armor of God before? Yeah, right? Like even right now there are kids in Sunday school that are like cutting out armor right? And they're going to put it on. And you, how many people did that when you were a kid? Like, I didn't. I didn't hear about Jesus. Like, I didn't come to faith. I didn't go to Sunday school until I was like 14. So I was past like the, the felt boards, the, the flannel graphs. I was past that. People talk about, remember flannel graphs? I'm like, no, I don't remember. But they're awesome now. I like, I look at them. They're like fantastic because you could use Moses and Jesus. They're the same person. You just slap them on for a different story. All right. All right. I'm, I digress here. Okay. So he says in 611, 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 6.13. Therefore, pick up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And the whole armor of God, I'm just going to do a little roll call on the armor of God. You got the belt of truth. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. You got the shoes of the gospel. You got the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I want to say a couple things about this armor, and then I want to talk through what they are and talk about how useful this is actually. Like, how useful is the gear that you have and that you love? How useful is this armor? Now, a couple things about this armor. For one, it is the armor of God. And we, you, might not, you might not know this, but like for the Apostle Paul, when he thinks about the armor of God, and we think about it's a possessive, it's God's armor. And the reason it's called God's armor is because if you go back into the book of Isaiah, all of these pieces of armor are mentioned in the book of Isaiah. And do you know who wears them? God does. In the book of Isaiah, God, this, this is God's armor. And when God is going to do justice, when God's going to roll up his sleeves, he puts on the breastplate of righteousness. He puts on the helmet of salvation. It's God's armor. It belongs to God. But what we find out is for, for the Apostle Paul is that this is, it's God's armor. In other words, it is, it is armor that belongs to God, but it is now going to be armor that God says, look, you're going to need this armor. You're going to need this gear. I'm, gonna, I'm going to give it, I'm going to take it off of myself, and I'm going to put it in front of you. It's God's armor, but it's God's armor that he provides for us. There's, there's three different passages in the book of Isaiah where God puts this armor on, this exact armor. Isaiah 11.5, Isaiah 52.7. So this really is the armor that belongs to God, but it is now the armor that he issues out of his armory, out of the divine armory, God has this armor, and he's providing it now for you. So the first thing is this. This is armor that belongs to God. He's used it. He uses it. But the second thing is this, is that when we think about this armor, and if you've gone through this, oftentimes when we come to this passage, we think Paul is introducing something new. And we're, we get kind of enamored a little bit with this when we focus on the imagery. We think about the, the belt, and the breastplate, and the shield, and the shoes, and the helmet, and the sword. But what Paul is doing is he, he's not as focused. Obviously, this is, an Im, this is imagery that we're going to use, that we're going to kind of take in. But what he's trying to get is the content. Think, and just, we talk about, we talk about the, the imagery, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the armor, the sword. But it's the content, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the spirit and proclamation. These things are not new to Ephesians. As a matter of fact, Paul at the end of Ephesians is not bringing up something new. Paul is summarizing. And what he's saying is, look, I've talked about truth already. I've talked about salvation already. I've talked about faith already. What you need to do is you need to take these things and you need to put them on like armor. This is not Paul introducing something new. This is Paul saying, I've already talked about all these things and what we're going to do is we're going to go back and review 
now, but what he's saying is, look, we've talked about your identity in Christ, and we talked about walking in a manner worthy, and now what I want you to do is I want you to pick up these things, and I want you to put them on like the gear you need in order to make it through this battle. What I've written to you is the gear that God is going to provide you. And so this isn't a new section. This is simply a review section with a new twist. This is how you're going to survive. This is how you're going to make it through. This is how you're going to fight against an unseen enemy. All these things I've been teaching you, your identity in Christ, the availability of the gospel to those who are far off, you need to put them on like armor because you're going into battle. And so let's do this. Let's just walk through what this armor is, remind ourselves of the concepts that we've already learned in Ephesians. If you've come through Ephesians with us, we've been at this since the beginning of the year, and we're going to see how this gear is useful to us. We love gear that's useful. We love it if we can use it. How is this useful as we live a life of faith in Jesus in a world that would rather that we didn't? How does this work? All right, here we go. 614, the belt of truth. Okay, it says this, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, we think of a belt, when I, when I say belt, you are automatically thinking of, like, I'm thinking of my belt, which is like, it's got, if guys out there, you've got this belt that like struggles under the last, you know, you're like, as you gain, as you get a little, you gain a little weight, you're like, you, want, you still want to get to the same notch, right? And your belt is like wanting to scream out, right? All right, that's just me then. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about, okay? But you think of that belt. That's not necessary. That's not what Paul's talking about here, okay? Um, it, it says, if we were to translate this from the Greek, it says, stand being wrapped around your waist in truth, okay? And the verb there, in the Old Testament, whenever God might test somebody or like in the book of Job, if, if, if God is going to question somebody, like somebody's running their mouth and God shows up and says, I got something to say about that. He says, gird yourself up like a man, you guys ever read a passage like that where someone's going to be tested or the circumstances of life are going to test them and God says, it's time to gird yourself up like a man or like in King James English, it's like, it's like um, gird up your loins. I, sorry about that, um, but it's Father's Day, right? So, and the idea would be this. It's not that there was a belt or anything like that, but the idea is that, hey, get ready because it's coming. Whatever the action is, whatever the circumstances, you got to be in a posture of readiness. And the problem with that in the ancient world is the clothing in the ancient world was like long and flowing. You would wear, you would wear a robe or you would wear a tunic and it was, it was long and flowing. But if, if you were going to do work or you were going to go into battle, what you would do is you would take your robe and you would, you would kind of wrap it underneath and then tie it around your, your waist and you would turn your robe into shorts. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, what you need to do, you're going into a wrestling match, you're going into battle, what you need to do is you've got to gird yourself up. And what he says is this, you've got to gird yourself up with truth. You've got to make yourself ready by knowing the truth. You got to know the truth. That's, it, this is the foundational thing. Before you do anything, before you put on any other armor, you got to get yourself ready. 
it's like get yourself into, a, into, a, into an athletic stance, right? It's coming, so brace yourself. And that's what he's talking about here. And the way that works is with truth. Wrap yourself in truth. What does he mean by truth in Ephesians? If you go back to 1.13, just maybe a page back, 1.13, he says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 4.21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. If you're going to get ready, if you're going to get ready, right, whatever that is, I mean, it's, 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 I'm sorry for the imagery, right, okay? But if you're going to get ready like that, do you know the gospel of your salvation and do you know who Jesus is? Do you know the good news of your salvation and that the truth is in Jesus? The gospel is truth. And the mention even of the devil, we talked about this last week, the mention of the devil, the devil is, is the adversary, the devil is the, is, the, is the slanderer. Satan means the accuser. Like the very mention of the devil implies that the devil is a, is a one who misrepresents and deceives and gives false information the devil is a deceiver. Get ready with the truth. Know who you are. Do you know that you have been saved? Do you know the good news of your salvation? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what he's like? Have you read through the Gospels? Do you know his sensibilities? Do you know if Jesus were to walk into a situation, how he might respond? That's what Paul's talking about. Get ready with that because the devil's going to come at you with all kinds of stuff about, no, Jesus is like this. And you're like, no, he's not. That is not how Jesus would behave. That's not how Jesus would act. The devil would come at you, how do you know you're saved? I know I'm saved. I've put my faith in Jesus. I know how that works. And Paul is saying, look, the devil is a schemer. Gird yourself up with the truth. You got to get ready. And so those who had heard this, they would have had that image in their mind. It's, it's, not, your, it's not my angry belt, you know, my, my screaming belt. It's girding yourself up and getting ready for action. Truth. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what Jesus taught? Do you know the sensibilities of Jesus? And do you know the good news of your salvation? Belt yourself up with truth. All right, that's only one, and I'm pretty fired up already, okay? This is armor. This is armor. This is not, this is not just a locker room pep talk. This is a before battle pep talk, right? This isn't an optional thing. You're going to be grabbing a sword by the end, right? And so Paul is saying, look, if you're going, if you're going to make it as a church and as, as a person, you got to get this going. So I'm just, I'm trying to give, trying to bring the energy that is implied here. So, okay, that's the idea. So the belt of truth. Second thing is this, 614, the breastplate of righteousness. It says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is a frontal metal piece that was worn by soldiers. Uh, there probably would have also been some kind of chain mail, like metal chain mail that would, so there was some movement, but also protection at the same time. And, but what he says is that this is kind of a foundational piece here. It would, it would protect 
kind of the, the ribs and the vital organs and whatnot. Um, but what he says is that this, this vital kind of um, foundational piece is the breastplate of righteousness. Wear righteousness as a protective plate. Now, some translations translate this as justice, and that's a fair translation of, of the word dikaiosune. It can be translated as righteousness. It can also be translated as justice. The verbal form of that, when we are justified by faith, it's the word righteous, okay? We're made righteous by faith. That's a lot of extra information. Thank you for paying attention. Um, but the, the idea is that this, in, in Ephesians 4, 24, it says to put on your new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's a question. What, is, what does righteousness mean? What is this righteousness? Okay. The Apostle Paul doesn't talk a lot about righteousness in the book of Ephesians, but he does in the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, he talks about being made righteous, justification by faith. And later on in the book of Philippians, Paul will talk about righteousness, and he'll say, how do we stand in front of God? What, what sort of righteousness, whose righteousness do we have when we stand in front of God? And what Paul says is that he says, um, in, he says, I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's the idea. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we don't, just, we don't put on just our good works. Like, that's great. You're a good person. You do good things. That's great. That's not the breastplate of righteousness that you're putting on. What you're putting on is actually the righteousness of Jesus. See, there's this thing in, in Reformed theology, there's this thing that's called double imputation. Jesus was perfect, but he died as a sinner. Why? Because our sin, even though Jesus wasn't a sinner, our sin, our real sin, was put onto Jesus. It's what we call imputation. It was imputed on him. He's not really a sinner, but he was counted as a sinner. The double part of this is Jesus is righteous, and we're not. And what happens is his righteousness, what God says is, I'm going to choose, I'm going to take that righteousness, and I'm going to put it on you so that when I look at you, I see my son. He's counted as a sinner, but he's not. I'm counted as righteousness even though I'm not. I will not stand in my own righteousness, and you won't either. And what Paul says is like, what you've got to do is you've got to put on the righteousness of Jesus. You've got to be found in Christ, in his righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. God the Father and Jesus provide it for us, so put it on. You're going to need it. The de- See, look, the devil is going to accuse you and is going to slander you. And if that hasn't happened yet today, it will. You probably have regret from things you've done in the past. And you know, if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've been forgiven of those things. You put your faith in Jesus, you are completely forgiven. And you have been imputed with the righteousness of Jesus. And you know what the devil is going to do? He's going to say, hey, remember that time? Remember that time? And you'll say, well, I, I asked for forgiveness. Yeah, but remember that time? Didn't you do it again and again? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? And what you've got to do is you've got to say, I am completely forgiven. 
And I don't give a rip what you say, devil. The devil is a slanderer. The devil is an accuser. God gives you the breastplate of righteousness. You're like, oh, I don't, I can't, I, I'm, I'm not good enough to wear that. Look, you weren't good enough when Jesus died for you. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. You were never good enough. And if you think it's because you're good enough that he's with you now, you're mistaken. He's with you now because he chooses to be with you. He's invested in you. He sealed you with his Holy Spirit, knowing that you're going to continue to sin because this is a renovation project. And he's in it. He's there for it. He signed up for it. Put this on. It's going to protect you. It's real. Until the day when you can, have, when you can experience that righteousness in its fullness, put on the breastplate of righteousness. We come to the Father in the righteousness of Jesus. Put it on. Get ready and put it on. All right. We got the belt, the girding yourself up. We've got the breastplate of righteousness, 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And what this says is it says, strapping on your feet the readiness of the gospel of peace. There's actually, here's the thing. There, there's no belt. In, there's really no belt. It just says to gird yourself up. Maybe there's a belt, maybe there's not, but for the, for the little kids, we have a belt for them, right? Okay. But, and here, it, it doesn't say anything about shoes. It just says straps things on your feet. Okay. Now, that implies sandals, but there's, there's no shoes. It just says strapping on your feet what? The readiness of the gospel of peace. What is the readiness of the good news of peace? The good news of peace is Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Paul actually in the book of Ephesians talks about this peace. Turn back to chapter 2. I, I want you to look at this again because the readiness of the gospel of peace is not just the readiness to share the gospel, okay? Although I think we ought to be ready for that. But the readiness of the gospel of peace, what is the gospel of peace? He talks about what the gospel of peace is. 2.13. 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought by the blood of Christ. He's talking about the difference between us Jews and you Gentiles. Like we know about God, but you don't. We're near to God, you're far off. And now he's saying, look, what Jesus has come to do is he has come to go out after those who are far off. It's not just for insiders, it's for outsiders. 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is about the hostility that you have with people who are not like you. This is about the hostility that you have for people who are far off, who, people that you're like, yeah, I don't think they should know about Jesus because they're kind of bad people. And what, you're like, but the right answer, Pastor Craig, is that God loves everybody. But the truth is we don't actually act like that all the time. We drive, we drive by, we see people, we see people on the news, we're like, that person's an idiot. Like, I hate that person, right? Even if we don't say it out loud, we might, this passage is about those who are far off, God has made peace. He's broken down the wall of hostility. 2.15, he's done it by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God. 
in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Look at 2.17. This is what he's talking about. What is the gospel of peace? He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. What is the gospel of peace? The readiness of the gospel of peace. The question is this. Are you ready to go out and to offer peace with God to your rival? Are you ready to go out and offer peace with God to the person that you do not like? To even the person who would rather see your own downfall? That you would love your rival, or in Jesus' word, that you would love your enemy? That's the gospel of peace. And he says, strap that sucker on your feet. Strap it on your feet, because if they're far off, you better have good shoes on if you're going to go get them. You need shoes if you're going to travel that far. Put them on and get ready. The readiness of the gospel of peace. It's one of the most difficult things because I think in our heads we can be like, yeah, God loves everybody. And then we like start watching the news or we, we have this interaction with this person. We're like, man, I don't, want them, I don't want them to come to my church. I don't want them. I don't want them in my small group. And what Paul says, look, if you're gonna, if you're gonna stand a chance in this battle, you gotta strap these on your feet. Because there's no greater, we've talked about this, there, when we gather together, and you gather together with people who have, you have no business being around, you have no other common interests, different stages of life, and you gather around Jesus, it is, it is a declaration to the invisible powers of this universe, the dark forces of this world, that they are going to lose and that Jesus can hold any group of people together. When we gather like this, it is the most potent weapon against the devil. When the DMV gets together, and it's not because they need to renew their license, right? It's because they believe in the supremacy of Jesus, and they stay together through thick and thin. It is, it is a proclamation to the dark forces of this world that Jesus is way more powerful. Jesus will win. Strap that on your feet and go out there. Be ready. The readiness of the gospel of peace. It's so challenging to me. I mean, I'm preaching to myself, right? A lot of people bug me. That's supposed to be a joke. You can laugh, right? You're like, pastors aren't supposed to say that. Look, it's true. I I have to check myself. I've got to strap this on. I've got to strap on these shoes. Because this is counterintuitive to me. And I know that the gospel, what God is doing, if God is doing anything in this world, it's not like this, oh, it's nice, it's nice. What God is doing in this world is he's putting his shoulder into it. There's velocity to this. This is life transforming, community transforming. This is world changing ideas. This is not just a nice Hobby Lobby decoration. This is rolling up your sleeves, shovel in hand, out doing the hard work, checking ourselves, strapping on the readiness of the gospel of peace. All right. Okay, there we go. Let's keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm already, 
I got to take a breath. I should take a drink of water. Uh, ahead. We're going to skip ahead to, 12, to 617. Of salvation. Six, uh, take the helmet of salvation. What are helmets supposed to do? What do the bike people say? They protect your head, right? If you have, look, if you have a cheap head, buy a cheap helmet, right? Um, get a, always get a good, a good expensive helmet, good helmet. Protect your head. You, and here's the deal. You, the helmet of salvation, you need to know that you've been saved. And what, what has Paul said? Like salvation is that you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Let me say that again, that salvation happens in, in, in time, that what Jesus has done on the cross has been accomplished. You've been saved. We're in the process right now of being untangled from the forces of this world, and one day Jesus is going to come and make all things right. You will be saved. That's salvation. And what he says, remember that, understand that. There's this process that's going on. It's certain, it's happening, and it's certain. But we're right in the middle. We're right in the middle. And you've got to understand that. Put on the helmet of salvation. He also says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, 617. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word here for sword is the word makaira. It's the standard issue sword about yay long. It's not the long sword that's hard to wield in battle. Like, you know, like this is the short sword that you can, that's agile. You can, you can improvise with this sword. It's the weapon of the infantryman. It's versatile. Notice what the sword of the Spirit is. It's the Word of God. Now, we, we oftentimes think about the Word of God as this, but when we think about, when, they, when the Ephesians received this, there was, they didn't have this. They didn't have a printing press. They might have had some scrolls. What they heard was things read out loud. And when they talk about the Word of God, what they're talking about is this idea that when God speaks, and the standard instrument of power in Scripture just think back in Scripture. The standard instrument of power is when God speaks. Think about Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, that, that's John. That's the Gospel of John. In the beginning, um, well, what, what is Genesis? Now I'm drawing a blank, right? In the beginning, uh, so, God, so in the be- <laughs> God created the heavens and the earth, and how does he do it? He says, let there be light, and there was light. This act of creation, when God speaks, when God speaks things out, it's power. There's power to that. When God speaks out, uh, when Jesus is getting tempted, he quotes Deuteronomy. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When the Father speaks on the day of Jesus' baptism, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. These are powerful words. When God speaks, things happen. And when God sends his messengers to speak his messages on his behalf, there's power in that. God speaks things out, but he also sends his messengers, his emissaries, you and I, to speak out his word. There's power in that. There's power in saying these things out loud. There's power when you read your Bible and reading it out loud. Reading these things out loud, filling the air with these things, these are important things. There's power in that. Spoken words and messages of God are like a sword in this battle. That again. Spoken words and messages of God are like a sword in this battle. And the, one of the questions is like, do you have any of these... 
do you have any of those messages memorized? So that when, when the time comes, when the day of evil comes, you have something to use as a sword. You think about like Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. If you're, going, if you're going through a hard time, if something comes at you, or you're wondering, am I really safe? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How about Romans 5.8? God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? This is, these are foundational. These are important. Romans 12.1, that therefore in view of God's mercies, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. And then verse, verse 2, that do not, therefore, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, his good, acceptable, perfect will. When you go through these times, when the, when the enemy comes at you, that you have a sword. You have something to use that the Spirit can pull something out of your memory. It's this great mystery. He could just plant it in your memory, and maybe there are times where he does that, where he just puts things artificially in. I never read that before, but it came out of my mouth. But more often than not, I think what God does is the things that we memorize, the things that we let in, that when the time comes, he brings those things back to mind. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, we're surrounded by such a great, great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that there might be a verse or two or three that, that you think, okay, I have those, but maybe I need to find some more. Like, I, it's like clubs in the bag. I need a, I need a, I need, because if you're a guy, you're like, I need a new pitching wedge, right? I need new gear. Like, get some new gear, just memorize a few things. There's some great resources from the navigators. It's cheap. You can get, you can pick out and just memorize, just go through some very foundational things. This last year, I, I went through a navigator's thing when I, when I first became a Christian, when I was 15, 16 years old. I rebought the book and I'm re-memorizing re, re some of the passages. It's awesome. I mean, these are things that as they're fresh, the Spirit can use them as a sword. Now, I say for the end, the shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16. 6, and I saved it for the end um, because he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And when he says in all circumstances, he's saying in all things, he's really meaning above all, above all. If there's one piece of armor, guys, let's say you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness and you don't have the things on, here's the deal. These, these shield, the shield that he's talking about, it's like, a mini, it's like a small door. It's like four feet tall. It's about two and a half feet wide. And what they would do is they would, um, they would wrap these in, uh, in leather. They would cover them in leather. And before the battle, what they would do is they would soak them in water. So what you would do then is if the, other, if the enemy came with like arrows that were, uh, that were flaming, they'd shoot it at your, at your uh your door, essentially, and it would stick in and then they would extinguish. But here's the thing, what you could do, like there's times where you're out in the battle and you're doing your thing and, and all this stuff, but there's other times where you're just like, look, I'm tired, I gotta, I gotta rest. Like it's all going, the battle's all going around and I don't, I don't know if you felt like that sometimes because look, the devil is a schemer and the devil is constant and constantly varying in his attack. The spiritual forces of darkness in this dark world are varying and constant. 
And what he says is what you definitely have to have is you've got to have a shield that you can hide behind, that you can get behind where there's safety. And what he says is that is faith. And as we talked earlier about what faith is in Ephesians, faith is simply this. Faith is what we call the fundamental question, and it's this. Do you have a life that is fundamentally directed towards God? Fundamentally directed towards God. You might have all kinds of awesome other things. You've got a great house. You've got a great family. You've got great things. And there are, there are people who are fundamentally directed at those things. Here's the deal. When those things get burned down, your faith will fail. And we see that because we, have, we see churches that fall and people who have fundamentally directed at a movement or a person or a pastor or something like that and it's deconstruction all over the place. But if you have a life that is fundamentally directed at God, whatever burns down around you, you will be protected by a faith that is unshakable. When I look at this passage and it says, you've got the shield of faith with which to, what does it say? You can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I was thinking about that image. You guys, you know in the movies where they're laying siege to the city and it's like the archers, and all these flaming arrows, right? And they're going to launch these into the city because what they know is that if you're going to lay siege to the city, if they're too busy trying to put out fires, let's start a thousand fires and burn the sucker down so that we can get into the city because they'll be, they'll be too, you know, they'll be trying to save their homes and families and all these other things that they own. So let's burn it down. Look, that is what the devil is doing to you on a daily basis. The devil will start a thousand fires in your life, a thousand at a time. Have you ever felt like that? Like it's like one thing's gone wrong, another thing's gone wrong, another thing's gone wrong. It's because the devil has just launched a barrage. <laughs> And it's burning. And what the devil is going to try to do is to take the things you love and burn them down. You can ask Job. In the book of Job, Satan says, oh, Job, he only loves you, God, because of what you've given him. God says, okay, take away, take it away. So Satan does. He burns it all down. Burns it all down. And what does Job say? He says, naked I came from the womb, naked I will return, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He did not have a, fundal or, a fundamental orientation towards the things of God's blessing, all these things around. He had a fundamental orientation towards God. That's faith. He says later in the book, even if he slays me, I will praise him. That, my, my gosh, that is a fundamental orientation to God. And what Paul says is, you get a shield like that. God can use a person like that. That is, that is safety in the day of trouble because there's an orientation towards the goodness of God in any circumstance. Now, in that, we, this is also the idea, you, won't, you, would you wouldn't go through anything like that alone if you were in this church. You would have people around you that loved you and cared for you. But there is, there, is, there is a fundamental question of what is my relationship with God after I lose my spouse? 
after I lose my job, after I lose a child, will I go on with Jesus? And what Paul says is, in all circumstances, most importantly, above all, grab the shield of faith. It will take you through the worst battle. Look, guys, our enemy, our enemy is a real piece of work. And it can come hard or it can come soft. It can come straight at you or it can be deceptive, whatever it is. But the, but the devil wants to light a thousand fires in your life. And the question is, will your faith in Jesus stay? Will God Will you see God as good at the end of the day? A life directed towards God. I think as we just wrap this up. <sighs> gear. I love gear. We love gear. Paul says, here's some gear. And maybe as you're just listening to this, you're like, hey, some of that gear I feel like I got. I got that. I feel good about that. That gear, you're like, Use, I, I need a little refresher on that. I need some new shoes. I need, I need, like, I need, I need to kind of re-up on this sort of a thing. And that's fine. That, we do that all the time. I think that's, that's what Sundays are for. That's what, like, weekly rhythms are for, monthly rhythms are for, even yearly to say, hey, it's, I, I, might, I, I, haven't, I haven't kind of talked to God in a while. And look, the, the idea is that God, God loves it when you come to him. What gear do you need to refresh? Refresh. Do you need to kind of re-up on the truth of who Jesus is? It's possible. Read one of the Gospels. Do you need to be reminded that it is the righteousness of Jesus that we rely on and not our own? Take some time and reflect on that. That passage is in Philippians chapter 3. Do you need to be reminded that God offers peace through the Gospel to your rival? Might be time to do some soul searching on that. That's okay. That, this is okay. This is, God is taking us from where we are, what we are not, and making us into something we have not yet become. It's okay. That's what this is about. Do you need to sharpen your sword? Come get some of God's word into your mind. Do you simply need to re-up that, God, I want to be fundamentally directed toward you? Why don't we pray? Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up.